0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Church History for Chumps, Episode 2. Before we get started, I want to run you through a real quick thought experiment to kind of get you in the right headspace for this episode. I want you to imagine a movement or a religion. Or let's, let's even say a fan base. Something with followers and uh, numerous leaders and practices, but most importantly, beliefs. Now I want you to imagine that uh, one of these leaders, a veteran believer, so if we're going with like Taylor Swift fans for example, someone who's been down from the beginning someone who uh, has been listening since teardrops on my guitar has been through the highs and the lows and is all about T-Swift. Now, imagine that this person is arrested and captured and forced to speak ill of Taylor Swift and her artistry, and they refuse to do so, and they are publicly burned at the stake. Now, I get that 2,000 years between our topic today, polycarp, and where we are today can make that analogy a little different. But what I want to ask is not so much that you consider the act itself, but the response to it. I can't imagine a response to something so unjust with peace. I imagine reaction, anger, violence, sometimes even calls to insurrection or overthrow. And that's where the Christians are. You know, Polycarp was a well-respected dude. He was 86, he was a bishop, so he had status in the church, he had respect in his community. And he was, he was arrested, he was told to to recant the beliefs of Christianity or be killed. And when he didn't, he was. But the response to that wasn't violence or reaction with anger. It was actually a response that praised God that Polycarp had the courage to walk in the footsteps of Christ because Jesus himself was also killed unjustly. And it really is more seen as a call to the church that we would hopefully have that same level of faithfulness if we were called into that same place. It is a beautiful picture of the church's posture towards martyrdom and it's really interesting so let's talk about it in fact that's what me and tommy are about to do welcome to church history for chumps we're glad you stopped by Hey everybody, welcome to Church History for Chumps, my name is John Simon, I'm accompanied by the great, the tall, the wise, the Thomas Duell, and uh... Keep it coming, keep it coming. The, the charming, the friendly, the the guy who you hope will sell you a house. Nice. Yeah.
1: There's just so much uh, serotonin going on right now. Yeah,
0: yeah, thanks, I got gotcha. you. Thanks
1: dude. <laughs> yeah, no problem. You the plug. Yeah,
0: um... But yeah, we're so grateful that you're joining us for listening. And uh I know what you're thinking. John, why are you talking about a Pokemon on a church history podcast? Well, I'll tell you, Polycarp is in fact <laughs> no Pokemon, but uh one of the church fathers and one of the most uh interesting tales of mythology surrounding a martyrdom that uh that I know of personally. So we're going to talk about him.
1: Sweet. And I'm pretty excited. Heck yeah. I think it's like one of my favorite church history stories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love. Uh, so when I used to go fishing with my uncle, he would always say, Oh, I hope I catch a polycarp because that means mini carp. And we were always going <laughs> carp fishing. So. Was that the worst joke you've ever told or what is that a real thing uh i wish i could say it was both but unfortunately it's only the first <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, man but actually no i'm going to one day be that uncle for yeah. one of my nephews or nieces and i'll be like time to catch a polycarp, polycarp. and they'll be like shut up uncle john <laughs> get back in the boat uh, so, yeah. So, Tommy, why don't you tell me a little bit about, about our boy Polycarp?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Polycarp is one of the earliest church fathers after after the life of Christ. He, uh, <clears throat> he was, um, yeah, early leader. He was the bishop of uh, Smyrna, which I'm not exactly sure where Smyrna is. Smyrna is in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Is there... Do you know, is there, like, actually, a, is that still a city? It is not is it called, called Smyrna
0: anymore. I forget what it's called now. And honestly, I can't blame them. Smyrna is kind of an ugly-sounding name. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Smyrna, uh, let's see, was a Greek city um, on the Aegean coast of Anatolia, and it's currently um, Izmir in,
1: uh, in modern-day Turkey. So, yeah. So he he was actually a disciple of john the apostle Hmm. so he's like truly just like second generation christian and he lived from ad 69 to ad 155 so he wasn't around when jesus was walking around but he was like shortly thereafter and was personally discipled by uh john the apostle And he's kind of seen as like one of these three primary uh, church fathers at the very onset of the church alongside uh, Clement of Mm -hmm. Rome and Ignatius of Antioch. Ignatius being a, um, actually not Ignatius, Irenaeus, which is another church father, was discipled by Polycarp. So all these guys are kind of interconnected at this time Mm -hmm. and um, functioning really as uh, these guys were all. Bishops, I believe, in yeah. various cities around um, in Europe and the uh, and what was called considered um, Asia or Asia Minor.
0: Yeah, see, that's always exciting to me to think about because I think that I mean, honestly, if I if I had one goal for this podcast, everyone who's listening, take notes. If I had one goal for this podcast, I think it would be. Uh, To recognize the lineage and the kind of the bloodline that we have as Christians, even as our traditions have kind of gone all different types of ways. Like, I think sometimes we still live and act as if the doctrine and the way that we understand the Bible was basically cooked up by our pastor saturday night before a sunday sermon Mm. and it's like no like we have a lineage that i mean it's what it's what a lot of high church people would call apostolic succession when we wouldn't quite recognize that in the reformed world but you know there is something that breathes all the way back to the apostles and polycarp being um one of the key church fathers and then also discipling irenaeus who was another one of them and we can kind of just track like all these dudes these like spiritual ancestors who have fed so much into the church so that's just a cool thing for me and uh, I don't know is John the best discipler you could ask for from the apostles I think so I don't think I'd want
1: Paul he seems John seems so in tune with uh, just the relational needs of the people that he's writing to all the time he's very fatherly he refers to the the people in his churches as his children and Mm -hmm yeah he seems like a really cool guy to i think paul would be like
0: he's like the dude who's always mad because he's got so much to do and he's like gotta write another letter to the corinthians (laughs) feel like i just did that and i'm like hey paul you think we could grab a coffee this week and he's like yeah sure and i'm like gosh (laughs) dang it man this guy's the worst i think john john would text me in the morning with like bible verses
1: yeah, yeah, you were you were, you were you were
0: loved, dear one. Yeah, by the Father. Yeah, yeah. He'd be like, "Hey, I was just thinking about you. Hope you're having a good day." <laughs> well, thanks, John. <laughs> Gosh,
1: such a nice guy. Well, whatever he did with Polycarp worked because Polycarp was authentically uh, Christian to his mm-hmm. core, mm-hmm. Um, right to the end of his days, and he actually lived like a long time, uh, like in that. Age. He lived until he was 86 years old, which is yeah, super old. Um, even in our day and age, where um, we've got a lot of modern medicine on our side, so he was around for quite a long time at this super early informational time of the church. Um, and then at the end of it all, he gets martyred, which is the story we want to tell today. Yeah, um, and it's just such a such a cool ending to. his story and i think it's
0: worth saying too before we jump right into the martyrdom that he wasn't you know i think church figures can almost be like rappers when they die in their prime they tend to get like an elevated status um you know like tupac or you know lots of other rappers um but polycarp was not like a dude who became popular because of his martyrdom. He was he, he was, was a bishop. The boss, yeah. yeah. Been a bishop, like bishops have like bishops are basically overseers of like large groups of churches. And he was a bishop in Smyrna, which um I assume was a pretty pop in community. And uh He had relationships with other very significant church figures around this time. Like you said, he was discipled by one of the apostles himself. Um, There are various stories of his life and ministry where he's being called upon to help settle disputes that were happening in the church or where he's just very clearly standing on right teaching. Because one of the things that I do not envy about those first few hundred years of church history is that they were just rife with heresy. Like mm-hmm. there were so many false teaching because hadn't, they hadn't figured stuff out yet. It was still super fresh to them to be like, wait a second, was that Jesus guy actually a person or was he just like a ghost who floated around but looked like a guy? Like, That'd be hard to figure out. We we we've inherited two thousand years of tradition and doctrine. Like these dudes were still figuring that stuff out, mm-hmm. uh, and Polycarp was a really essential dude in helping the church do that. And so he served the church very well up until his uh, his final martyrdom.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and this is we've been talking. We realize this is actually like the third week that we're we're honing in on something that's in some way connected to martyrdom because even with the desert fathers we were talking about how they they were living at a time where they're for the first time in church history now there wasn't this rampant killing of christians going on so they were looking for ways to continue to hold out a faithful witness Mm -hmm. um and and polycarp's kind of on the other end of that where he's at the he's the the first generation of people People in the first century actually weren't getting killed a whole lot for their faith, hmm. Christians. Like it was really towards the tail end of that um, century that things were starting to get they were getting a little heat from from the Roman, empire
0: yeah each emperor kind of had their own opinion about the state religion and christianity and how it related to that so there were plenty of emperors who were pretty passive about christianity because they saw it as just basically another cult Uh, and then there were some who were very very opposed to it so yeah there were there were seasons where it wouldn't have been that consequential to be a christian and then somewhere the opposite was true
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and the first kind of the first kind of generation of christians the main opposition you're going to have is from uh jewish unbelievers Hmm. but then as christianity started to gain some some clout that's when rome starts paying attention and certain emperors are are starting to really kick off some persecutions yeah which kind of brings us uh to that story and most of what we know from polycarp largely comes from this letter that was written by the church in Smyrna after he died. Mm. Um, We know it as the Martyrdom of Polycarp, and I would highly recommend everyone to read it. It's shorter than most New Testament books in the Bible. It can be read in about 15, 20 minutes. It's concise, and um, even the way it starts, I just really... Love, um, because I think it kind of frames the whole thing. So it starts like this. The church of God which sojourns in Smyrna to the church of God which sojourns in Philomelium and to all the sojournings of the Holy Catholic Church, meaning all churches everywhere of of every time, in every place. Mercy, peace, and love of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ be multiplied. Two things I like about that. It tells me, like, this story is for me and my church, that this church knew that this letter was going to be, like, perpetuated Hmm. into the future. And so they were writing it for the benefit of future generations of Christians, which includes us. Yeah. And I love the language of sojourning. It's Mm -hmm. so – I think it's so timely right now for us to – Capture the the reality that this is how the early church saw themselves and the world around them. Like the the idea of sojourning is that they're writing to the parallel community the parallel kingdom that is at work in these cities Mm -hmm. and so like these people were there but they at the end of the day these weren't smyrnans they were christians in the kingdom of god sojourning in smyrna as if they're like they're like a nomadic people that are permanently in smyrna and like that language i think could teach us a lot about how to engage like on a national level it's very ephesian too right like the idea of being being exiles
0: in your land and kind of being aliens no matter where you are like i think paul was trying to kind of reinforce that same idea so yeah that's a that's a great point
1: yeah so anyway they get right to the chase this church is writing a letter about their their pastor basically dying and so imagine being in that boat to start with like Mm. your pastor gets killed for his faith and now you as a church are writing to another church saying basically like look at how god was glorified in this so uh Polycarp gets the word that he's going to be martyred and he lived in the city and uh, it says that he was not disturbed and just wanted to stay in the city. But a lot of people were like, dude, you got to get out of the city like they're going to come get you to kill you. Um, and he was a known figure in in the city. He was a, like well-known, respected, um, not just by people in the church, but like the community respected him. And we get this sense that like there was just like this day when basically like the mob wanted to kill him for the entertainment value, and so he doesn't want to leave. But then uh, his friends convince him, and they say, "You gotta, you gotta go away." And so it says. Uh, he went out quietly to a farm, not not distant from the city, and he stayed with a few friends, doing nothing but praying day and night for all and for the churches throughout the world, as was his custom. And while he was praying, he fell into a trance for three days, um, which he's super old, so like sometimes he could have it's just like, been dead. <laughs> yeah, they're like it's just a really long. Well, people don't sleep a lot, you know, and so yeah. I mean, he's just kind of doing his his thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at one point, he wakes up and he has this—he's vi- having this vision where uh, the pillow under his head is just on fire, and he and he turns to his friends and he says, "I must be burnt alive." He's basically prophesying about how he's going to die, and so we just get this sense that he's just like this really peaceful guy and seems relatively unbothered at the prospect of of being martyred um the other really cool thing that i see is that um i think this is a huge encouragement for uh elderly people in our churches mm-hmm. who sometimes may get a sense of like i don't see how i fit into what's going on um or how i could be valuable and we see polycarp basically like flexing the full weight of his experience and his authority and his like having lived a long life with jesus Mm. right here at this critical moment it's so impactful so like the soldiers show up to his house they figure out he's at this farm and they um showed up and uh and (laughs) <laughs> he sets the table for them. He's like, "Oh, let's feed these guys while they're here." So, like, oh, wow. they, they go to feed the soldiers that show up, and um, and then he prayed for them, and the the people who came were they literally like sit there and, and they repented that they had even come to like arrest him in mm-hmm. the first place, but they eventually do, and they, and they're on the way that like they're trying to convince him that because really all they wanted the city wanted him to basically just say caesar's is, caesar is lord sure and he's like not gonna do it and they're like no we really don't they didn't you get the sense they didn't actually really want to kill him like the the officials but he just doesn't relent so they take him to the arena where they're going it's like a coliseum kind of where they're gonna kill him publicly and the sound in the arena is so loud that you couldn't even like hear your own voice speaking. That's how like loud, the, loudly these people are clamoring for his death. And so he he has to stand like in the middle of this arena and there's a pro-counsel who's like this judge who's going to like basically give him one last chance mm-hmm. to, to uh, convert essentially away from Christianity <coughs> and then he's going to condemn him to death and uh like this is he's so ice cold in this scenario with this judge like he just there's so many good one-liners like for example uh the judge is like hey uh respect your age um i want you to you know you're, you're an old guy we don't want to kill you who wants just, to kill an old guy right it just looks bad yeah bad, yeah bad 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 look dude and uh, he tells him, "Just say away with the atheists," which is what uh, Romans, Roman people, referred to Christians as atheists because they mm-hmm. saw them as they didn't they didn't hold to this pantheon of gods, and so they're like, "Oh, they're just atheists, I guess." And so he says, "Just say away with the atheists." And Polycarp sits there, and he looks around at all of the people like screaming for his death, and he just looks at them, and he waves his hand, and he goes away with the atheists mm-hmm. <laughs> in reference to the people around him and the pro like okay like that <laughs> wasn't really what i was looking for mm-hmm. um and then uh he says just take just take the oath and i'll let you go revile christ and then this what polycarp says next is probably the most famous thing that he ever said um it's actually my my facebook uh my facebook cover photo is a picture of polycarp um by the our church speaks guy Mm -hmm. saying this and he just said for 80 and six years have i been his servant and he has done me no wrong how then can i blaspheme my king and my savior Mm. and man that's just if that doesn't invigorate you i don't i don't know what will yeah yeah so they basically are like, okay, well, we're going to have to kill you. And so they said, you know, we're going we're gonna to kill you with uh, the beasts. And he's like, okay, <laughs> bet. Yeah. And they're just like, uh, well, okay, okay well, uh, we'll kill you with fire. We'll burn you. And he says to them, he says, You threaten with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched, but you don't know about the fire which awaits the wicked and the judgment to come and an everlasting punishment. But why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. Mm-hmm. and it's just so cool dude like he was
0: saying every sentence as if it would be the word they wrote on his like tombstone oh. like he's just dropping gems on gems dude yeah. like just incredible yeah I don't think I'll have that tact if I'm in his shoes, man. I think I'd try really hard and I'd be like, yeah, bring a bunch of lions. Cause the lion, the li- the, there's a lion that I serve and there's, cause that lion, he's not, he's not going to eat me. The lion of Judah is going to eat you. And then, like, they, the, they'd have released the lions as I was talking, and <laughs> I'd just be getting ripped apart. I'd be like, because you see, the lion, the lion, and then I'm just getting
1: shredded <laughs> apart by a bunch Jesus of Jesus is beasts. the true
0: and better. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's incredible. I think it's a good example of what. Um, of the the encouragement that jesus gives to his disciples where he's basically like don't worry about what you're going to have to say when you go to stand before the authorities for Mm. following me like the spirit will give you the words to say and i think that we're seeing this in action here yeah um so they say they're going to burn him and they bring out uh uh the actually like they 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 get ready to it says that the crowd like rushed they they all of a sudden they bring out all this wood from everywhere they make this pile of wood they're going to burn him and they were getting ready to nail him to a pole basically so that you know anybody who's about to be burnt like if you had the option to like run away like as you're like literally as you're being burnt like your body's not going to allow you to stay there and so they were going to nail him uh, you get a little understandably squirmy yeah yeah, you know wouldn't be wouldn't be very fun sure And so they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to we're going to nail you to this to this pole so that so you won't run away. And uh, he says, "Uh, don't bother, because the person who gives me power to endure the fire will also grant me the power to remain in the flames unmoved, even without these nails. (laughs) I hate this guy. It's he just he just, everything he says is so
0: cool. Oh man, that's just, uh, so freaking whatever. Eighty six right. year old had to make up for his stupid name. <laughs> yeah, Polycarp. <laughs> sorry, sorry. All right, continue. Yeah, dude, it's,
1: <laughs> he's he's a heater. I'm so, getting mad. I'm getting mad. It's envy right now, <laughs> in my heart. So he they so they don't they just tie him to the pole and uh, and then they they set him on fire. But then what happens next? is it's considered to be apocryphal, meaning like a lot of people hear the story and they're like, okay, this is definitely where like his followers kind of kicked in Mm -hmm. and maybe embellished the story a little bit. Yeah, I actually, the older I get, lean towards thinking that there's not very much embellishment going on here and this is a very unique time in church history where God is like working in a really powerful and... Um, so I don't like the term supernatural but a there's just this evident way mm-hmm. that that God is basically at like putting his stamp of approval on, on what's going on so yeah. they light him on fire and it says that for everyone watching it didn't look like he was it, it didn't look like someone who was uh, on fire which I've never seen I mean I've seen like stuff on the internet of people catching on fire oh <clears throat> but i've never seen someone be executed by mm-hmm. being burnt alive and I, and i can't imagine that that's ordinarily a very pleasant thing to see watching someone's like skin melt off and them screaming and like it would be pretty horrendous the description of what happened was that none of that happened but it it was almost like they were watching the words they used were bread being baked yeah and he also didn't die it was just like he was just being like refined and so it said that they they realized he wasn't dying so they sent a soldier in to uh to kill him and so this guy takes a takes a dagger and he and he stabs him and it said that so much blood came out that it put out the whole fire and also said that a dove like came out of his body and and flew away which is kind of like what, did, what do you do with that like that's that's definitely the weirdest part of the story but <laughs> but whether or not that actually happened i think that there's a like a a true spiritual truth going on here which is that like this was his final act of obedience mm-hmm. as a as a christian yeah and uh and that it was so evident to everyone there that what they had just done was uh was martyring like a
0: good man yeah that's that's a tarantino level amount of blood though like (laughs) that is a that's a geyser Uh of blood good gracious yeah um let's see i have a couple thoughts uh very few of them worth listening to um firstly uh i think the question that's on all of our minds right now is dude's 86 martyrdom like i don't know it's not it's not beating a dead horse but it's beating an almost dead horse (laughs) like uh, just just like, I bet if you wasn't just... wasn't very cash money of the Smyrnans. By like, no means. Like, I think if you want to kill an 86-year-old man, you just don't feed him his four o'clock dinner. <laughs> like, he'll be gone by 5.30, bro. Like, that's it. <laughs> um, so, seems a little excessive. Uh, that's thought number one. Thought number two, um, I. this is a whole nother episode. Maybe it's not even an episode. But the the viewpoint that c- exists in some modern evangelical circles of like the world today like modern culture is getting just progressively worse and worse and slipping into deeper forms of immorality anytime i hear a depiction of a coliseum i'm instantly like oh, i don't really buy that <laughs> wait what do you mean like there are like this viewpoint that like the world like the modern like the mo- modern day Western culture Is like As immoral As the world As world history Has ever been And I'm like there were thousands of people who were super psyched about an old man getting burned to death and possibly eaten by lions. Like that was there like Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um I'm like I don't know. This I, I just got I, I feel like humanity's come a long way. Like that's enough to make me post mill before I start <laughs> thinking about actually being You post-mill. heard it
1: here folks. <laughs> yeah,
0: I said might, but it won't <laughs> because you can never more again. That's a different episode. Yeah. I,
1: it is it is a good reminder to look like ways that our culture has been thoroughly salted by the gospel and that like we have our own cultural sins that we have a hard time seeing that probably people from that day and age would look at us and go, wow, you guys are heinous. Mm-hmm. But but there there is a difference, and that's a that's an important distinction. Like part of the effect of the gospel in Western culture is that like that I don't think is seen as an acceptable practice. Mm -hmm. Let's just watch this old dude melt. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the best. Yeah. That, that's pretty, pretty grotesque, but I, I love stories like that. Like I love, I love, I mean, it kind of goes, it's, it's what we discussed in the desert fathers episode, but I love stories that come across as so like, um, like fantastic. In like Like the fantasy Like it's so Like over the top And almost absurd It's like I don't know if I even have Any grounds to question If this happened Like it actually It actually kind of makes sense Like Like even then Like what Like how would his disciples be like oh let's say uh, let's say he bled so much it put out the fire yeah, yeah yeah write that down write that down like it's so strange that i think you're right i
1: don't know if i really question it because well and they're writing about a super public event that thousands of people witnessed yeah
0: any like, that any that joe schmoe could be like that didn't happen he just
1: screamed and died right and and the best parts of the story in my opinion aren't even like the I, I think we see just as much evidence of the spirit uh, being at work in this, in just the absolute disrespectful <laughs> things he's saying to the judge. Yeah, as we see, uh, like him baking like bread in the fire. Like those are both examples of of the spirit's work in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the the imagery
0: of because another thing that I read was that the smell of his. Burning of his immolation was not of burning flesh but actually of sweet incense. Mm. So it's like, yeah, you're watching this dude being burned to death, which I imagine is a traumatizing thing to experience, whether you're rah-rah with the crowd or not. But then it's like, it's not grotesque. Like it is in some ways like, like the smell of baking bread is incredible, but it's also like, that's what dough is supposed to do. Mm. Like it's baking to become what it was meant to be, to to be. And I think like we are such a, this is, I think something I've been pressing in on my preaching quite a bit. We're such a preach. We're such a suffering averse culture that I think that, we still i mean and i i'm guilty of this in my subconscious for sure to say like if i get to the point in my life where i am suffering i start to think i must be doing something wrong because this this isn't the path for me if i'm suffering it must mean i need to reroute and do something differently but I think what the the portrait that scripture paints for us and I think what is really beautifully portrayed in this experience is that no, sometimes suffering is the refining that God is explicitly calling you into because martyrdom was like... Kind of celebrated back then mm-hmm. Like there's an interesting relationship All throughout church history That Christians have with martyrdom And during the early time period Like it was a tremendous honor To be martyred Like it was obviously a bummer But like you know This is where we're getting stories of saints Who were like singing songs As their marched to their execution Like they recognized that The trial that I'm about to go through Like when I get to the other side of it like, I won't just be a better person. I will actually be face-to-face with my Lord Jesus. And, uh, yeah, there's something interesting about that. That
1: seemed to be part of, um, like, if you read the this letter, it seems to be part of the goal that they had was to help people think well about martyrdom because it, it does tend to get, at certain times in church history, it seems like you were telling me the other day about how, you know, there's people just – actively provoking soldiers to try to get martyred because that's how uh like highly esteemed it was Mm -hmm. but they write right at the beginning of the the letter they say um that he waited to be betrayed as the lord had done he said so that we might become his imitators meaning polycarp's imitators it was like he was he didn't he was thinking of others other than himself he was if he was just thinking about himself he may have taken steps to kind of press the issue and get martyred sooner but uh, but he he didn't he wasn't just agitating authorities just so that he would get in hot water he just kind of kept doing his thing and and obeying God until it until it kind of boiled over to the point that he was going to be martyred and seemed like they were trying to help people like more thoughtful about that yeah like not yeah.
0: rushing into that mm-hmm, yeah and uh and this is really one of the first because i'm trying to think like a number of the early church fathers were martyred but i think he was the first because i don't think justin martyr was martyred
1: before polycarp was he i don't know on the dates yeah i i don't it does talk so. about there was i think before this It says that there was, I I think I read somewhere in here that there had been 12 people who had been martyred already in Smyrna, Mm -hmm. um, but they weren't ones that we would consider, you know, church fathers. But, um, yeah, I don't know about the dates as a part, uh, you know, if we're considering him in relation with other Notable church fathers, right, right,
0: yeah, okay. So it's about ten year difference between uh, Polycarp and Justin Martyr. So yeah, he was he was uh, martyred before he was uh, before Justin was.
1: So what about? It might be Ignatius though. Hold on. Okay, because Ignatius died in one forty. Uh, so Ignatius actually may have been the first. And I think we're gonna definitely gonna have to do an episode on Ignatius. I think it was Ignatius who said something like was it him who said i am the I am the Lord's wheat oh you know what I'm talking about I think it I think it was because I think it was I'm like, I the Lord's wheat and I will be ground uh by the teeth of the beast so that I might become uh, the pure bread of Christ or something yeah like which that. is
0: pretty that's a pretty hardcore thing to say yeah that's it pretty is. solid um so did are you get Are you getting any feedback in Like static inside your headphones No nope, Is that why you look really uncomfortable I, It is It is Alright well we'll cut this stuff
1: out But I need to I got no it's feedback bother me. You might want to go see a doctor about that No <laughs> <laughs> oh, now everybody gets to hear it Because you are reenacting it <laughs> Yeah let me read Maybe to kind of wrap it up Let me read this This quote Just from the very end of the letter Which again I highly encourage you to go read this It's in the public domain Um you can just like Google the Martyrdom of Polycarp and find a version of it to read online. But uh it says this at the end. It says, By his endurance he overcame the unrighteous ruler and thus gained the crown of immortality and he is glorifying God and the almighty father rejoicing with the apostles and all the righteous and he is blessing our Lord Jesus Christ the savior of our souls and governor of our bodies and the shepherd of the universal church throughout the world. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So uh,
0: yeah, what do you think Like, if you were an early Christian experiencing just uh, maybe kind of coming and going persecution in this time, like, what does a letter like this do to you? Like, how does it shift your perspective on martyrdom? Uh, And what does it do for you today as an American Christian with very little risk of martyrdom in your life?
1: Yeah, I think of how impactful it would be if my church got a letter from the church in Manhattan that said brothers and sisters, we are um, sobered yet so excited to tell you about how our brother Tim Keller was uh, lit on fire in Times Square last night. Yeah, Let's tell, let us tell you about how it happened. And then a story like this, uh, unfolded it, that would be so it would be so like this mixture of emotions of just like oh my gosh like they they killed Tim Keller yeah. or like a local example for us like if we got a if we got a note that, that our that our beloved friend Rod had been crucified we would be like oh oh no like we would be so sad but at the same time as we're reading this we would be so so enriched to go oh wow he 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 played the man until the end like yeah he he withstood like this final uh just onslaught from satan and is now uh with christ like i don't think we can even quantify how enriching that would be for us and 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 it does say something for the for the power of of martyrdom and and we see that happening in other parts of our world right now yeah yeah i um i think that's
0: a great way to put it because it, it, it if i heard that tim keller had been burned at the stake or that our friend rod had been crucified like just putting myself in that brief thought experiment i'm not thinking oh that's great like what a what a beautiful testimony to the love of Christ and to the suffering that we're sometimes called into my immediate thought is that i'm i'm outraged like this is this is absurd like there needs to be justice like this is this was a breach of 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 how our society should be run this is completely unacceptable and i'm thinking like how do i get justice this is completely absurd like there's like an outrage that stirs up in me but the the posture of this letter was like mm. yeah like this happened and it's awful but Polycarp was enriched by it and the people who were exp- who were who were witnessing it even those who wanted to dance on his ashes were literally fed a beautiful testimony of christ and like it'd be one thing if the letter was like you know sharpen your pitchforks get ready for a for a riot because we're gonna burn this city down because of what they did to our bishop instead it's just like this is what happened and although it was a tragedy like the crucifixion of christ was a tragedy and yet we can try we can see the triumph and we can praise god for it and like that is such an incredible like paradigm shift like that is a completely you know this is the upside down kingdom like we rejoice in the face of death and we um are still eager and filled with contentment even in the face of injustice because we know of a god who is uh making good all that man intends for evil it's literally in the first book of our bible that that concept and I mean it it you know pacifism as a concept against like christian military involvement i think can be seen as a little bit too much of an extension of this thought but it's like the idea that christians could be content at such an early time in their history with the violence inflicted on them i think it's what's preserved us Mm -hmm. as as a faith like you know there's the there's the famous saying i still don't know who wrote it but um the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church mm. like the church does not exist without the bloodshed of the first men who stood against um the the pagans and the secular folk um even to the point of death even when they were a very oppressed minority um like they were doing so in the name of christ not 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 maliciously not violently not militantly but they were doing so humbly and even in their um literal like slaughter like it was something that christ was using to bring his church to life and uh I think that's that's an encouraging word for for our, you know, our brothers and sisters who are still facing stuff like this across in different um, places throughout the world. It's like I think that to be able to once you see a martyr as a victory, there's something um, invulnerable about the Christian faith Like I remember reading a quote I think it was Marcus Aurelius And he was, he was a Roman emperor And he was writing and he was talking about How much he hated the Christians And he said I hate the Christians because you can't threaten them like there's nothing you can take from them because if you can take a christian and publicly and slowly torture them to death and their friends are celebrating and they see it as a victory like what can you coerce them to do like they will never see you as lord because they see their lord as the king of all kings Mm. and there's something like you can't touch about that kind of thing and of course you know that can lead to all types of issues but In this context it's like holy smokes like these christians really were given an an impenetrable force field because they knew just how
1: much they really couldn't be touched by swords or lions it shows you it shows just how uh totally jesus like suplexed death yeah that within one generation you've got people uh who are just utterly unbothered by by the the concept of it and and you see it, it's almost as if like satan can't figure it out he's he's happily killed every single person that's ever lived up until jesus jesus dies raises to life changes the meaning of death for everyone for all time and within one generation it's like satan's still trying to throw that mm-hmm. like i'll kill you and and christians are just like thanks yeah like you know it it's just Totally changed, and I think a a helpful way something that we should probably glean from Polycarp's death is that your death can be a martyrdom, not in the sense of um, like there's people who are killing you for your faith, but the core of what a mar- what martyrdom is is faithful witness. Mm-hmm. Your death can be and should be a faithful witness today no matter what the circumstances are. Mm-hmm. Your death is your it's for one it's your final act of obedience to god and it's the way it's the final opportunity that you have to say to the watching world uh death where is your sting Mm -hmm. where is your victory i belong to christ and that take that actually takes uh premeditation like you 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 may be like in a fit of fervor like get this boldness on your on your deathbed, but you should also like prepare for this I yeah. think that that you should be finding ways to remind yourself of your death and that, that there there is going to be a day in which you are called to be, you know saying your final um your final peace, yeah with the world it's that memento mori yeah. idea right remember your like death
0: this idea that um, yeah like we live th- this is something that not cr- just Christians but as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve like this is the curse that we still live under this is the most tangible fruits of the um, already but underlined not yet that we experience like everyone on earth today will die like unless the lord comes back or some other type of supernatural narrative unfolds around us like death has awaited every person living in the ground or in ash or dust floating in our in our skies like death is there for everyone and you know we often I, I feel like what turns me off about sometimes the memento Mori approach is we all we only use it evangelistically we're, we're harassing non-believers and saying hey you're gonna die do you know where you're gonna go but then that that concept is nowhere in the church like where are we reminding like the Christians Hey, like you are going to die. Like mm-hmm. you're putting a lot of effort and putting that in, 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 stocking up that portfolio homeboy, which is great. But remember you're going to die. And so are your kids who are going to leave all, who you're going to leave all your stuff to. So like, this is not to, you know, fall into the Platonist trap of um Just gotta get you my know, body off the earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're we're gonna we're gonna earth. dissolve into the spiritual realm. It's not that, but it is kinda saying, it's not saying, Oh, forget the bodily things and live for the spiritual stuff, because that's just a terrible dichotomy. Like they're so intertwined. But it is like Your death is coming, like prepare yourself for it or at least live within that reality. Don't become so enmeshed in um, the, the, the current worldly life that we're living that death comes to us like a shock because we have to recognize the Western narrative is terribly afraid of death like we're doing everything we can to not die other cultures have introduced and allowed for death to have a proper place in its narrative I don't think the western culture is there I don't think the western culture really knows what to do with death that's Mm. why when somebody dies we ship that body away to a house and we do one last viewing once it's been coated with makeup and stuffed with chemicals and then we dig it in the ground and then we drink some uh, drinks some punch and we share some jokes and then we move on and then when you're still grieving a week later and you have to go to counseling you're like what's wrong with me it's because you have no place for death in Mm -hmm. your culture yeah um anyway you know that makes me think of palmer yeah lord willing lord willing faithful listeners will be the next voice that you hear um on our podcast we're very excited he is a uh he's a dear dear friend of ours and we'll give him a more proper introduction next week but um but yeah, I think I think we should close there. Good, what do you think? Yeah. Well, uh, well, friends, this has been uh, Church History for Chumps. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to to like, comment, and subscribe, um, or just leave us a review wherever podcasts can be found. Because that would help us be found by more people. Um, all right. Thanks, guys. See you later.
1: Later.